Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Spirit of where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Pirkei Avis Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. Today's Mishnah is um, another one of these very, very exciting Mishnayas. So the Gemara tells us, the Mishnah tells us that Rebbe Lazar Hamodai, who, who he is, is going to be very important to our understanding of the Mishnah. Rabbi Eleazar Amadoi, Oymer Rabbi Eleazar Amadoi says, Hamachalal es hakodshim, that a person who desecrates kodshim, sanctified things, v'hamivaz, meaning sacrifices, and we'll talk about this in great detail in a little bit, v'hamivaz es hamoedos, a person who degrades the festivals. Our rabbis say that the festivals that we're talking about is the shalosh regalim, the three um, holidays, and that in, it's talking about Chol Hamoe, the intermediate days of the festival. Somebody who embarrasses somebody in public. And somebody who denies the covenant of God, meaning the bris between God and Abraham. And somebody who is somebody who reveals secrets of the Torah or uncovers the Torah, explains the Torah, but outside the lines. Their, their explanations of Torah have left the standard explanations and the traditional explanations of the Torah. Even though this person would have in his hands Torah umasim tovim, Torah and good deeds, ein lo chelak He doesn't have a portion in the world to come. So before I get into into any of the details, any important, there's like amazingly important things to uncover in this Mishnah, but there's just some very very simple problems. First of all, why these five? What's the connective tissue between um, between all of these five things? that these are the five things together that are Motsinus Adam and Olam that take a person out of the world. Plus, what, that, 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 that make a person lose their portion in the world to come. Up until now, every time we've talked about some negative kind of thing, we've talked about Motsinus Adam and Olam takes a person out of the world. Here you have to notice very starkly the difference that it says that he has no portion in the world to come. It's much more severe. What's so severe about these five transgressions that they would get you, they would lose you a portion in the world to come? What's the connective tissue between these five things? Why were they said by Rebbe Lezer Hamudoi? We also have to worry why this is in Pirkei Avos. There's a section of the Talmud in Meseches Sanhedrin that deals with things for which a person does not get Olam Haba, for which a person does not get the world to come. One would imagine that this would have been appropriate there. Not in the Mishnah Perkyavas. 
We don't talk this way in Pirkei Avos. When we say that Motzina Sadim in Olam takes you out of the world, we talk about the flip side first. We talk about if you do this, life is good. And if you don't do this, then Motzina Sadim in Olam, the consequences that it takes you out of this world. Here, there's no good side to this. This is just somebody who does these five negative things. He has no portion in the world to come. What's the ethical teaching here? What am I supposed to learn out of this? You're, you're telling me, you're, you're telling me the, the sort of the bad things that happen to me if I do these bad things. Okay, shkayach, but, but what am I, what's the ethical lesson? These, many of these are mitzvos also. So I understand that I, I can't get involved in those, you know, in those, those averos, those transgressions. What is the ethical lesson? What are you trying to teach me in this Mishnah? And the final thing in the Mishnah is so troubling. There is a book called Tomer Devorah. Tomer Devorah, and he's not the only one that says this, but the Tomer Devorah is a Kabbalistic work written by Ramosha Cordovero, which in the beginning of his work, he takes the 13 divine attributes of God and he shows how those 13 divine attributes need to be taken and put into our own personality. I actually give a class on this in, in, um, in San Diego, and it's a beautiful, incredibly, incredibly beautiful work. And it's, it's learning. We know that there's a commandment in the Torah that says we have to fashion ourselves after God, and it's teaching us how to fashion ourselves after God, how to use God's personality and to incorporate that into our own. One of the things, one of the midos of God that we talk about is that God does not forget the transgressions that we do. In other words, when you do a busload of mitzvahs, and you do, unfortunately, a busload of averus of transgressions, God doesn't cancel the one out for the other. Let's say, you know, you have 40 mitzvahs, you have 10 averus. So God says, look, 10 is a wash against 10, and now I got to reward you for 30, 30 mitzvahs. It doesn't work that way. You get rewarded for the 30. You, you have to deal with the, the 10, for the 40, excuse me, you have to deal with the 10 negative. In other words, every single thing you do is, is dealt with by God. The positive things are dealt with positively. The negative things are dealt with the way that they're meant to be dealt with. But there is nothing that cancels other things out. Look what this mission is saying. Even if yesh biyada, you have in your hands Torah and masim tovim, you are a holy roller. You're learned and you do mitzvos and you're plugged in. But if you have these five, these five will cancel out every word of Torah that you've ever learned. Every mitzvah that you have ever kept will be canceled out by these five. Besides the fact that I don't understand why, but it's not our system. It's not the way God works. God doesn't cancel out mitzvos because of averos. He deals with your mitzvahs. He deals with your averos. Everything you do has a ramification. Things don't get canceled out. You know, you can't, you, you can't go have a cheeseburger and then say, yeah, okay, I'll give, you know, I'll give that amount to tzedakah. I'll cancel out the cheeseburger. I'll give double the amount of the cheeseburger to tzedakah, and I'll cancel that. It doesn't work that way. You can't cancel out an avera. You also can't cancel out a mitzvah. If you've done a mitzvah, then that accrues to you, and all the benefit of doing that mitzvah accrues to you, whether you've done Averis or you haven't done Averis. It doesn't matter. So what, is, what in the world is this Mishnah teaching me? Before I get to the pieces of this Mishnah, we have to put it a little bit in context. Rabbi Lazar Modoy. Rabbi Lazar Modoy, 
because he lived in Haramidia, and he was a uh, he was a Tana who lived in Eretz Yisrael, and he really taught no halachos. Rabbi Lazar Amodoi was very much involved in what we call the Agada, in the Agadaic, um, homiletic understandings of the Torah, understandings of Scripture, more midrashic kind of kind of statements to the extent that many of the sages would say that they wanted to wait, Rabbi Gamliel would say that he wants to wait to hear what Rabbi Lazar Amodoi says. And very often when you list a lot of rabbis explaining a certain piece of the Tanakh, so Rabbi Lazar Amodoi chimes in, and they always say Rabbi Lazar Amodoi's explanation of this is spot on. It's the best of the explanations. Rabbi Lazar Amodoi was an incredible person. He is mentioned here in our Mishnah, and he, and he talks about these five things that if a person does, so then he is loses his chelik lolam I think I'm not going to get to it today. Tomorrow, I'm going to show why Rebbe Lezer Amadoi had to say this, but we have to give the background to Rebbe Lezer Amadoi. We know there was a fellow by the name of Bar Koziba. He is also known as Bar Kochba. He revolted against the Romans and was actually, in the very beginning, he was successful. Reinstated, came back into Jerusalem, was able to push the Romans out, Many people supported him, including Rabbi Akiva. The only problem was, is that Bar Kochba started to believe that he was Moshiach. He minted coins, which they, they, they exist today. They have found these coins, found many of these coins. He minted coins. He started to, to begin a, a, a new regime. And as soon as he started to do that, he lost the Siata de Shmaya, the heavenly help that he had, and Bar Kochba was, was, was lost many of his wars, ended up in the city of Betar, and that was the last siege. The destruction of the city of the Betar was considered tantamount to the destruction of Yerushalayim. And in fact, on Tishabov, it is one of the things that we mourn in the principal mourning of Tishabov. It's one of the things that we mourn was the destruction that took place in the city of Betar. We know that in Berchat Amazon, there are three blessings in Berchat Amazon that are biblical blessings. And then we say, Yuvnei Yerushalayim, and then Bonei Barachamav Yerushalayim Amen, which we never answer Amen to a bracha. The reason that we answer Amen to the bracha is because we're separating between the biblical section of Berchat Amazon and the rabbinical section of Berchat Amazon. The next blessing in Birchat Hamazon is the blessing of Hatoiva Ametiv, that God is good and He does good. That bracha was instituted and written after the destruction of the city of Betar. The city, the destruction of the city of Betar was so immense that the Talmud describes that there were dead bodies piled up that were that were six high and it was it was thick like a wall. The, the, the Talmud describes it in such a gruesome kind of way and says that there was so much slaughter that took place in the city of Betar that the blood flowed from the, that flowed from the corpses was able to fertilize the fields around the entire area for seven years. A miracle happened. The bodies did not decompose. They were not allowed to be buried. The Romans would not give them permission to be buried. They were lying outside. 
and they did not decompose, and eventually they were given, uh, they were allowed to have a Jewish burial. And it's on that that they instituted the bracha of Hatoy Vametiv, God is good, and God does good. Now, the question, of course, is, wait a second, these are slaughtered bodies. How could you make a bracha that God is good and that God, is, and, and that God does good? How could you make a bracha toivametiv? They're slaughtered. You're making a bracha because they were, they were allowed to be buried and they didn't decompose in the sun, but, but they were slaughtered. Where's God's goodness? So the way that they explain it is, is that on the slaughter, we have nothing to say. We can't say yay, we can't say nay. That's part of God's plan. But that God was gracious and that, that bestowed a miracle that they shouldn't decompose and that they were given a Yiddish burial that they were given, they were given a kavadika burial. On that we can make a bracha hatoyvametiv, and that is the kavana that's meant to be behind the bracha hatoyvametiv. That things go on in the world we can't explain them, but nevertheless we can explain the miraculous. We can explain the chesed, even in the difficult times, even in things that are difficult for us. We can explain the chesed, the kindness that God does for us, and that's the that, that is meant to be the kavana of. Um, the bracha v'atova metiv. Now, why did, it, did when, when they were in the city of Betar, it took years for the Romans to be able to besiege the city and to destroy the city of Betar? It was not because of Bar Koziba, but it was because of his uncle, Rebbe Lezer Modoy. And Rebbe Lezer Modoy would daven every single day in obviously such a dramatic and such a powerful way that as long as Rabbi Lazar Mudai was davening, the city of Betar was protected on the schus, on the merit of Rabbi Lazar Mudai. Rabbi Lazar Mudai was living in a time where there were so many different philosophies and ideologies, where the Jews were crumbling. It wasn't that this was, this was a powerful nation. And there were so many ideologies that were being, that were being introduced and that had been introduced over the, over the generations. Rabbi Lazar Madai was davening and they realized, the Romans realized, that the city was never going to be destroyed because the, the Rabbi Lazar Madai was davening for them. There was a certain, there was a certain um, kusi, a, at that point really a non-Jew, but who was an enemy of the Jewish people, who went to the Romans and said to the Romans, as long as Rabbi Lazar Madai is here, you might as well go home. And Hadrian had actually packed up and was on his way home. He said, but don't leave yet because I think I have, I think I have, a, I have an answer. And he goes in to the city of Betar through the sewage system of the city of Betar. And he finds Rebeleza Mudoy. And he goes over to Rebeleza Mudoy and he whispers in his ear while he's davening. Rebeleza Mudoy is oblivious. But people, he did this in front of soldiers and people, they saw him. They knew that he was an enemy of the Jewish people. They arrested him, and they brought him to Bar Koziba. And Bar Koziba was going to kill him. And he said, look, they said to him, what did you whisper in his ear? And the fellow said, look, I'm either going to die by you, or I'm going to die by the Romans. Because if I go back to the Romans and I tell them I wasn't successful, they're going to kill me. If I, tell you what he, if I don't tell you what he told me, then you're going to kill me. So I'm dead anyway. I would rather die by the hands of the Romans than by the hands of the Jews. Now, he did that purposely. Because this way he got 
Bakuziba, he got him angry, and Bakuziba started to press him. And he turns to Bakuziba and he says, What I told him was, is that they that the um that the Romans were going to be successful and that and that he should and and, and that he should give up, he should give you up to them. And he said that he was going to give you up to the Romans. Because of that, they let the fellow go and they killed Rebelazar Mudai. And the minute that Rebelazar Mudai, they killed him as a traitor. Before they killed him, they asked him what he said to the, what, what, what was the conversation that he had with, the, with, with this, um, with, with, with this um, Kusi. So he said, I don't know what you're talking about. said he whispered something in your ear. That was davening. I didn't hear anything. They didn't believe him because of the paranoia and they killed Rebelazar Mudai. And from that moment, the city of Beitar was now vulnerable because the heart, the power of the city of Beitar was taken away and the city of Beitar was now destroyed. That backdrop is the backdrop against which this Mishnah is being taught. Let's look at each of the five pieces and then tomorrow we will understand. I apologize that I have to do this in two days. But tomorrow we will, we will then understand why it was Rebbe Lezer Hamodoi specifically that had to say this Mishnah and what exactly was the connective tissue between the five. But let's first understand the five. Mechalil Esakotchim a person who desecrates sanctified things. What's desecrating sanctified things? That means that you take korbanos, sacrifices, and you treat them like they're just pieces of meat. You go into the temple, you treat the temple like just another big building. You violate the principles of kedusha and of kachim and of sacrifices. That's the first crime. The second crime that's listed in the Mishnah, that means a person who desecrates chol hamoed. Cholamoid is the intermediate days of the festival of Pesach and of Sukkot. Many people, and this was a 33-year battle, and I won't say, I shouldn't use the word battle, but it was a 33-year effort that I put into my community to, to step away from being Mevaza Esamoidos, because many people treat Cholamoid as Chol, as weekday. The way we dress is like weekday, the way we act is like weekday. It just happens to be weekday with a little of an essay or weekday with a piece of matzah. But it's weekday. If we're working, we go to work. We do all the regular things that we do. There's no, the, the, except for again, if we say maybe if you, you know your bench, you remember to say Yalav Yavo or you, uh, you, you, you go to shul, maybe. But other than that, it's not, it's really just a segue, sort of a holding pattern until we get to the next yantif, which is which is right after. That is not what Cholomoyed is meant to be. Chol HaMoed is, it's the whole of the Moed. It's the whole of the Moed, which means what is it? It's Moed. The Moed, the Yontif, is on the first day and the last day. That's the Mikra Kodesh. That's the, the time that it is the holy sanctification. I understand that. But it's the whole. This is the weekday of that same Moed, which means that the character of that time is Moed. If you look, you know, here in Eretz Yisrael especially, you look by, by the, the religious people, you see that they dress like Yontif. That people dress like Yontif. That's what it's meant to be because it is 
the chol of the moed. It's weekday. You're allowed to do malacha. There are certain works you're allowed to do, but there's plenty you can't do. You know, look on a Jewish bookshelf and you'll see a book called Chol HaMoed, written by Rabbi Zucker and Rabbi Francis. And that book, Chol HaMoed, is about Yesek. The halachos of Chol HaMoed are massive. Probably the most difficult, one of the most difficult halachos in the in compendium of halacha. They're very difficult halachos. Because there's all kinds of details of who can do what and when you can do it and when you can't. But there are halachos for Chol HaMoed. The second thing that's being talked about in the Mishnah is a person who is mevaza moedos, a person who degrades the moed by not being careful with the sanctity that's due to chola moed. Beautiful. The third thing, malben pnei chaveu berabin, is a person who desecrates another person, a person who embarrasses a person in public. Our rabbis say that a malben is pnei chaveu berabin, person who, who embarrasses somebody in public, he ilu hargo, it's as if they have killed them. Because the face goes white and then then red. And when a person is embarrassed, it's as if the blood has been let out of their body. It's as if they have died. If you've ever been embarrassed in public, I once walked in, I can't even tell the whole story, but I once walked into a, into a room filled with people and a person started to shout at me. It was, it was in a restaurant and a person started to shout at me, you're a thief, you're a thief. I, I'm... Baruch Hashem Hara. I'm not, or at least not on that occasion. And and the the person, but the person, it wasn't even they were convinced that I did something. They they were, they didn't even mean to, to say it the way they said it, but they were so angry about something that they just shouted that I felt if I could find a hole and fall into that hole right there, I would I would do it. I felt like I was dead. I, it was, it was you know, 30, probably 32 years ago. I was a young, young person, but it was the most devastating moment when somebody embarrasses you in public. We know that Tamar and Yehuda, we learn what, it's, what it means to embarrass somebody in public from the Torah. The Torah says that Yehuda, one of the tribes, who was, was, um, had a daughter-in-law by the name of Tamar, Tamar understood that she needed to have relations with somebody from the family of Yehuda. She was married to Er, she was married to Onain, they refused to have children with her. She was, um, she, she then was living in her father-in-law's house, and to cut a long story short, she dressed up like a prostitute, and she ended up having relations with her father-in-law. She got pregnant. Father-in-law, they bring the daughter-in-law in many months later, and they say, your daughter-in-law is a zaina, she's a prostitute because she's pregnant, and her husbands have been dead for years. Yehuda said, in those days, the law was, you kill a prostitute, take her out to be killed. She said, no problem, kill me. But I just want you to know that whoever owns this stick and this garment, they were the ones that impregnated me. Yehuda looked at it, and he recognized that it was his stick and his garment. And he realized that it was he who impregnated her. She could have saved her life and said, uh, Shver, you remember? It was you. She could, have, she could have said that, and it would have been fine. In the end, it all would have been fine. But she didn't say a word. Why? A person, it is better to be thrown into a kivshana ish, to a fiery furnace, rather than to embarrass somebody in public. This crime, if a person does this, 
the person might see in us Adam a person is is in no portion in the world to come. Mefer Briso, the fourth crime. A person refuses to have a brismila or tries to hide the brismila. This is from the time of the Romans, that we know in the time of the Romans, in the time of the Greeks and the Romans with the Olympics, they were done in the nude, and Jewish men were not able to participate because they were marred, their bodies were marred. Anybody whose body was marred was not allowed to participate. You can only imagine that there was no such thing in those days as Special Olympics. They couldn't, they, they couldn't be involved. These were, these were lesser human beings. Therefore, there was a surgery that Jews used to undergo to tie their mila in a way that in the, in the hopes that it would regrow and that it would not be apparent that they had a circumcision. Mefer Brisa Shalavram Avinu was considered so serious because you are denying the very basis of Judaism. The basis of Judaism is that it is a covenantal relationship with God. And there is a bris, there is a covenant, there is a pact, a deal. And the ois bris, the symbol of that deal, we, we wear on our bodies. We wear in a place of immense pleasure to remember that everything that we do in this world has to be done for, with, with a reason in mind, has to be done for a purpose, and that even the pleasure that we have, there is a purpose to the pleasure that we have. The, the bris is also indicative that God could have created us mold, it could have created us with a brismila already, but we have to perfect, we Jews are specifically commanded to have a brismila because we Jews are told that our place in this world is, is that we have to find, use this world, and we have to elevate it, we have to perfect it. Brismila is the one mitzvah that we have with us at all times. David Melech was forlorn. When he went into the bathhouse, he was naked and he realized he had no mitzvahs with him until he saw his mila and he said, I am I'm overjoyed over the fact that I have a mitzvah with me that escorts me always. The brismila is the covenant, the basic covenant that God said that he gives us the land because of the bris milah, because of the merits of the bris, of the, of the covenant with the Jewish people. And that's why a mefer briso shall avroam avinu, that is denying and refusing a basic premise that it means to be a Jew, and therefore in l'chelek And the fifth, a mezgala ponim a person who uncovers the Torah, a person who gives their own interpretations that are outside the interpretations of Rashi, the Ramban, of all of our commentaries that come before us, who step outside of the line to give interpretations, who look at the Torah in a way that it's not meant to be looked at, who use the Torah for their own gain and their own ends, who say that God never gave the Torah, he only inspired it to Moshe on Mount Sinai. All of that is Megal upon him, All of that is And that, my friends, is where I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to ask the question, what, those are five horrific crimes. What do those five have to do with each other? And what do they have to do with Rebbe Lezer Hamidoy? And what ethical lesson do they teach us? It is a beautiful lesson, but we'll have to... Okay, I, the, the, my thoughts. Though I'm leaving you hanging, I'm doing two things. Sort of guaranteeing you're all coming back tomorrow and, and giving you something to think about. Because I want you to take the information I gave you today, if you can, if you have a little time to think, 
and say, where would you go with this information? Most likely not the same place I'm going, but, but where would you go with this information? What is this mission saying to you? What are these five things which I've uncovered and, and, and explained? What are these five things saying to you?